Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Juliet Schooling Latter, and today I'm joined by Brendan Galston, co manager of Gresham House UK Multicap Income. Hi, Brendan. Hi, Juliet. Um, last year was awful for dividends. Um, your target yield on the fund is 4%. How did it hold up? And, and I wondered what your thoughts were on the outlook for dividends this year. Yeah, last year was was clearly a tough year for UK dividends. If you look across the entire UK equity market, then you'll see that the dividends fell 44%. And two-thirds of companies either cut or cancel dividends between the second quarter and the fourth quarter of last year. Amongst amongst that that picture, the hardest hit sectors were banks, oil and gas, mining and consumer discretionary sectors, which you know, may not come as a big surprise. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that the UK dividends did fall within every quarter of, of last year. Um, if you look across the, the entire UK market, so so the, the picture, as you as you alluded to, was quite bleak. Um, if you look at our portfolio, the income fund fared really strongly against that backdrop. So, if you look at the headline figure against a forty four percent decline, our our dividend level declined, but it only declined by seventeen percent. Um, I think what was so more interesting really is that if you look at the quarterly breakdown of how our fund was impacted, you look at the second quarter of the year, clearly when you know when the pandemic was was basically in full force, um, our fund was uh, our, our year on year on year income for the fund was down, not not down as much as as the as the, as the wider UK sector, but um, it nevertheless, it was down fairly heavily. But in Q3, our dividend amount actually grew year on year by 17% compared to a decline of almost 50% for the market. And what's interesting about that is that it's really consistent with the resilience of the portfolio companies that we have in the portfolio, that we have in the, in the fund. And it demonstrates the, you know, what I suppose what we what we've been kind of talking about in terms of the the types of businesses that we look for and the type of income streams that we target. Um, because, you know, whilst the headline picture looks kind of negative overall for UK equities, actually, you know, within the portfolio, we saw a number of companies which, you know, were impacted by the pandemic and, you know, which sort of paused dividends. But for the most part, those those sort of dividends were, were paused really out of prudence as they so started to work through what the picture was for their business for the wider economy. And we, you know, subsequently we saw many businesses, you know, sort of implement cost cutting and actually emerge really trading quite strongly out of the, you know, out of the pandemic in Q3 and Q4. And, you know, the metric that we looked looked at across our portfolio was that actually 80% of the businesses I saw uninterrupted income streams. So, you know, we had a cohort which was com- basically completely unaffected. Um, but as I said, there was a, a sort of smaller cohort where they did pause dividends or, or, or cut dividends temporarily. But the you know the nature of those businesses and the nature of the fundamentals and the markets that they operate in allowed them to sort of resume dividends towards the end of the year. So, 
all in all, if you look at that from a fund perspective, um, you know, as I said, our, our, our dividend our dividends were down last year versus 2019, um, but we hit a dividend yield of 3.3% for the year. Um, this year, we're targeting, you know, we're back in line with, with our target of a 4% yield. That's good news for your investors. <laughs> um, as a team, you tend to uh, avoid cyclical companies, um, which are ones dependent on the health of the economy. Um, do you think that could be a barrier to the performance of the fund as this year progresses and everything reopens? Or will your bias towards uh, small and, and mid-cap companies counterbalance that? So we, so you're right, we tend to avoid what I would call overly cyclical sectors or sectors or areas where external factors can heavily influence the investment case and can, and can really determine whether a, a company or a business succeeds or fails. Um, some examples of those are the banking sector, oil and gas, and, and the, the mining sector. Um, you know, for example, within oil and gas and mining, the commodity prices have such a big effect on earnings and dividends and cash flows that those are outside of the control of the management team. And, and we feel that you know, those are kind of too reliant on external factors and therefore the, the risk return balance doesn't work for us. So we, we've not participated in those sectors historically. But I think the, you know, the important thing is that there's three important points to make. The first is, our, we don't think that's a material headwind to us because we've got a very large investment universe. So we invest across the market cap spectrum um, where there's, you know, there's over a thousand companies that we can invest into. Um, and we're not, we're not kind of pigeonholed by only being able to focus on you know, certain size of companies, for example. So, you know, this sort of active exclusion is because, you know, we, we are, it's to do with how we're targeting some long-term risk-adjusted returns. And, and, and we see that as being a key driver of our risk mitigation process. So, so, so it's worth reiterating that we, you know, there are plenty of opportunities out there and we've got the platform, we've got the expertise in small cap, we've got the, the private equity network to be able to really diligence the entire space the entire market cap spectrum so so i don't think from a kind of <coughs> from, a, from an opportunity perspective we're going to be sort of struggling to find find things to invest in now i note you have an insurance company and an actuarial company in your top 10 uh these are often uh professions that are thought of as rather boring what makes these companies interesting investments well often it's often i've found that it's the the kind of relatively boring businesses that can make actually quite attractive and quite exciting investments. But, um, you know, let, let me take these businesses in turn. So the, the, the actuarial consulting business is a, a company called XPS. Um, and you know, the reason is it's a pensions consultancy business. Um, and it also does some administration services for, for pensions as well. Um, and, the reason why it's interesting is because, firstly, the market dynamics are really attractive. So, the the, the pensions consultancy market is 
has historically been dominated by some very large insurance companies like Willis and Aon. Um, and I mean, essentially, what XBS is doing is their client is the is the board of trustees for large defined benefit pension schemes, and they're providing them with advice and consultancy services around those schemes. And um, that, so, so that market has sort of been dominated by much bigger players who are who, who don't just do pensions consultancy, they do a wide range of insurance services. Um, and why XPS is interesting is because it focuses just on providing that that sort of that type of advice to these clients. And it's not that you know it doesn't have distractions in terms of other, other sort of business lines that it's focusing on. So so we believe that 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 creates an opportunity to sort of provide kind of much more specialist and you know complex advice. Um and you know that is a barrier to entry and that you know that is a core part of the value proposition. Um and we've seen them to displace kind of in terms of displacing some of the larger players on on um services work. We've seen that happen over the over the past few years. Um the, the other the other interesting point to know about the market are that it's obviously a very technical market and there's a lot of complexity and there's quite a bit of regulation change that is driving the is, is driving the kind of demand from from customers. So I suppose the other point worth noting is just that the, the quality of earnings is quite visible for this business as well. So you know typically some of the work is is sort of happens over a kind of periodic you know has to happen ever, ever so often um, in order to meet kind of various to, you know to meet various targets for valuation targets or, or you know or, or whatever it is but the um, you know the way that the company looks at their earnings stream is really from a kind of monthly billing perspective and you know they they typically deem their re- revenue to be Sort of repeat or, or almost recurring if it's twenty four months of consecutive billing, and you know that was you know historically it's been over eighty percent of their their revenue. So it, so the, the quality of earnings we believe is is quite attractive as well. Um, and then the, the you mentioned the insurance business too. Um, um, that one is Randall and Quilter, which is a you know it's a specialist insurance business. Um, it's quite an exciting combination of both income and capital growth. Um, so again, it's probably, you know, it might sound quite boring, but it is, it's very, it's sort of technical and quite niche. And, you know, that was where we saw a, a real opportunity. And, you know, we thought if we can really get into the detail of the business and understand what the value proposition is and kind of where the, you know, where the income streams are coming from and, and what the, what the sort of growth trajectories are, then, it's going to be a really attractive investment. And um, <clears throat> so we spent the time really doing quite a lot of diligence on the business and referencing the team and, and, and the business itself. Um, they have one part of their business, which is a uh, legacy acquisitions business, which basically um, it's a buys legacy liability books of corporates that don't want, to, don't want to have the kind of have to provide on their balance sheet you know, multi-millions of pounds, to, you know, for a kind of legacy liability that's non-core to their business. And they, Randall and Quilter, take that 
off their balance sheet and they they manage it for them. And you know, that's a business that's been operating for about 30 years and they've got a really solid track record and reputation in that market. And that and then they've sort of leveraged their their insurance expertise to to um to, to they launched a, another part of the business, which is a program management management business in the US, where um, which is really the, the real the real growth driver. Um, it's in the US and Europe. It's the, it's the real growth driver of the business, and you know we felt that the, the market wasn't really ascribing much value to that growth that growth business. So it's a, it's an attractive combination of income and capital growth. And I also have to ask about your holding in Strix, a supplier of kettle safety controls. How on earth do you find a company like that? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I don't think anyone would, would seek to, to find a company like that, really. Um, it, it is, you're right, it's, it's very niche. Uh, so, yeah, it is the, it's the global market leader in the manufacturing and distribution of kettle controls. Um, and the business, so we've been invested in in Strix since it IPO'd in August 2017. Um, it IPO'd at uh, one pound a share, and it's now sort of trading at two pounds seventy six a share. Um, and, and when it listed, it you know it was it listed at a really attractive valuation multiple and, a, and an attractive dividend yield. That you know, from memory, the the Price earnings multiple was high single digits, and the dividend yield was pretty similar to that. So it was attractively priced, and um, you know it doesn't sound like a particularly exciting business, but ultimately our our investment judgment on on Strix was that it's got a really strong market share in a niche market with high barriers to entry to. Um, so, so I suppose how do, you know how do you come across a business like that to answer your question? We, you know, we're very plugged into the broker and advisor network, um, you know, across the market cap spectrum. But particularly given our sort of small and mid cap heritage, we, you know, we we do see a large number of IPOs and fundraisings. Um, but I think what's what was the kind of what was the sort of critical catalyst for us was that we Strix was owned by a variety of private equity. Houses and we were able to specifically reference with one of the investor directors from from the prime equity house that was exiting the business and who sat on the board for a number of years. We were able to speak to him directly through our network and to really test that critical judgment around you know what's the sustainability of the long term income, what what value would you be ascribing to growth, if any, and. You know how protected ultimately how protected are the, are the profits over the long term and, and and that was a crucial bit of diligence for us because you know we 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 came out of that with the view that you know it's made it's made grow but it's not essential to grow but but the you know the profit streams are really well protected by the market position and by you know a number of other factors that we learned about the business um, and you know since since IPO we've been sort of proved wrong in terms of the capital growth because, you know, as you've seen, you know, the shares have almost tripled. Um, so that, you know, they have, they have managed to, they have managed not only to deliver you know, a sustainable yield, but also to find capital growth opportunities. So, so I suppose that has been quite a positive surprise for us. Finally, 
uh, I noticed that since October, Gresham House Energy Storage has been added to your top 10. Is this on the back of the UK building back better and greener? Uh, Is there a trend you are playing here? And, And are there any other linked holdings in the fund? So I wouldn't say it's specifically off the back of the the UK build back better and greener. Um, so so Gresham House Energy Storage Fund effectively is the energy storage sites that connect into the national grid, um, <coughs> some battery storage facilities that allow energy supply and demand to be adequately balanced by taking power off the grid and then pushing it back onto the grid. Um, so, so, and, and yeah, so it wasn't specifically due to that initiative. But what we, you know, we 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 have been invested in in that business for a longer period of time. We, you know, we added to, we participated in the fundraising last year and added to our position. Um, what what we saw is really exciting with that business was really was the overall trend. So. You know the market trend, which we saw as being this convergence in terms of a shift to renewable energy sources, combined with the kind of overarching strategic government ESG initiatives that were that were sort of starting to play out. What we thought was really interesting was that you know we, we looked at the UK energy market and the proportion of the UK energy market that's coming from renewables. Is rising dramatically, and and there's this sort of longer term kind of transformational shift towards more flexible power generation. Whereas in the past, it was you know it was reliant on coal and oil and gas, and you know much more kind of stable power generation model. And this shift to renewables, what it does is it increases the volatility of of supply because you know clearly renewable energy can't really be switched on and off as easily. So you have higher variability and you have a higher need to, to balance uh, supply and demand on, on the national grid. Um, so we saw that as just being a really long-term structural growth opportunity and a structural trend that you know, w- would kind of transform the industry. Um, what we liked about uh, the Gresham House Energy Storage Fund as well was that it had a really great market position. It was an early mover and it was growing really rapidly. And, um, you know, the last sort of meeting I had with them towards the end of last year, they had 25% of the market share in the UK. Um, you know, they'd rapidly sort of either built out or acquired sites across the UK, which are which are in strategic locations where you can plug into the national grid. Um, a bit like the electric vehicle charging stations where, you know, you, you'll have seen there's you know, a number of companies that are kind of buying up access to power supplies to then set up these electric vehicle charging stations because they think there'll be kind of strategic value in those sites. So so we thought it was a really exciting sort of market position and growth story as well. And from a fund perspective, you know, the yield's really attractive. There's a 7% yield target initially. Plus, there's also this capital growth potential from an unwind in the discount rate, which basically causes the value of the, the assets and projects to increase over time. And you know, as as we've seen more interest in the sector, more players come into the sector. Um, you know, these assets are becoming sort of more valuable. The discount rate is is decreasing, and so it's a good mixture of both of both of those those elements for the fund. Um, and, and I suppose to answer the second part of your question, it does in terms of other 
you know, does play does play into a, a broader, I suppose, broader ESG trend where we're seeing really long term structural growth opportunities. Interesting stuff. Brendan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Gresham House UK Multicap Income, please visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. And remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. <laughs>